take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the book of Matthew as we continue in our series. This is the last message in our series entitled uh, Reboot, and today we're going to take a look at prayer. This is really to get us back on track, and uh, after the new year, and we make these resolutions, these promises, and I believe we make them in good faith, and we want to move forward, but at times we just start to... Uh, fall off the wagon, if you will, and um, I want to talk to you this morning about prayer, connecting with God in a distracting world, connecting with God in a distracting world. To speak about prayer, I'd ask that you'd remember Pastor Clark uh, at Solid Rock. I'd ask that you remember to pray for him. He has some heart issues, and he's been in the hospital, and so be praying for him. I believe he's got a triple bypass coming up, and uh, so please make sure that you put him on a prayer list. Uh, I know that the people there would appreciate uh, your prayers, and I know that he would appreciate your prayers. And so uh, just write his name down, if you would, uh, Pastor Clark, and, and uh, just remember in your prayer time to be praying for him, if you would. Connecting with God in a distracting world. The Bible says in Matthew, take a look there, chapter 6. This is really a very familiar portion of Scripture, because we call this the Lord's Prayer. I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read in verses 5 through 13 this morning. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Man, Jesus didn't pull any punches there, did he? For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I come before you this morning and I ask that I'd be pure and clean before you, that my heart, my mind, my life would be right with you, I ask. And Father, I pray that you would give me what I need physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to be able to just deliver your word. Father, we do pray for Pastor Clark. I ask that you would give the doctors wisdom. I pray for their church. I ask that you would bless them. I pray that you would heal him, restore him to health, and let him be able to preach again. I pray that you would help with the procedure that he has to have, Father. I pray that things would go well and there would be no complications. Father, we do ask for this church here that you would continue to use it in a mighty way. Father, I pray for those who may not know you this morning that are caught in the religious system. and that do not have a relationship with you, I pray that this morning that you would touch their hearts. 
I thank you for those who are going to be baptized today. I pray that you would bless them and encourage them in their walk with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't know about you, and I can only speak for myself, but there's been times in my own life that I found it hard to pray. Say, really? Well, you're a pastor. Yeah, it could be for any number of reasons, but sometimes I found it hard to pray. And I'm sure that there's a couple of you that may be just like me that have struggled at times to pray. Or maybe there are those here this morning that that want to pray, but they're just not sure how to go about praying. I think we all agree that we need to pray, but in all actuality, very few believers really pray. One theologian said, if you want to embarrass the average Christian, ask them about their prayer life. Uh, Could you imagine if we decided this morning, hey, let's all line up, and I'm just going to ask you a question. I'm not going to tell you what the question is until you come up, because if I told you the question, everybody said, you know what, I've got an appointment, you know. And the question is, how's your prayer life? Or do you have a prayer life? Or when was the last time that you really talked to God? See, praying and knowing how to pray is really no small matter. You say, why is that? Because in John chapter 15 and verse 5, Jesus said that we've got to abide in him and that without him we can do nothing. So praying and knowing how to pray, it's really no small matter because we really can't do what needs to be done in life without the Lord Jesus. What I find interesting is that Jesus, the God-man, modeled a life of prayer. Think about it. Jesus was the son of God, and you would think that he wouldn't need to pray. If anybody didn't need to pray, it would be the son of God. But Jesus, being 100% human and 100% God, you say, Pastor, explain that to me. I can't. We just have to take it by faith. Theologically, it's called the hypostatic union. It's a really big word for God's 100% man. Jesus was 100% man, and He was 100% God. He had to be man to be able to pay for the penalty of the sin, and he had to be God to be able to forgive the sins of the world. But think about it. The Son of God modeled a life of prayer. And if anybody didn't need to pray, it would have been the God-man. But Jesus prayed in his humanity to show us that if he needed prayer in his humanity, we all need to have prayer. A life of prayer. It really seems that Jesus needed to spend as much time with God as we do. He knew in his humanity that prayer was fundamental to his fellowship with God. See, the difference between us and Jesus are many and varied. And we would all we would agree with that. But when it comes to prayer, Jesus saw prayer as fundamental. And most Christians see prayer as supplemental. Did you get that? Jesus saw prayer as fundamental. And most Christians see prayer 
as supplemental. This is just something that we tack on when we're really in dire straits. Let me ask you a question. Do you really think that you are more capable of handling life and its complexities than Jesus? Do you really think that you, you can handle life better and all its complexities than Jesus? I think all of us would say, well, no. I mean, of course not. Well, Jesus lived in a complex world, and what did he do? He spent time in prayer. See, when we don't pray, what we're saying is that we can actually, we actually think that we can handle the complexities of life without the Lord. Well, the point is, look, Jesus modeled a life of prayer, and by that taught us that prayer is essential in the life of every believer. See, prayer is not supposed to be supplemental. It's not supposed to be tacked on. It's like this. I can, I can uh, have a, a suit, right? And most of the time, you put a tie on with a suit. But really... It's just supplemental. I don't need this tie to wear the suit. Man, that feels so much better. <laughs> that was a really good illustration, Lord. Thank you for bringing that to me. Because that's not in there. On oh, a serious note, for some reason during the wintertime, I have a gag reflex and I've got, to, I've got to loosen that up for some reason. But it does feel good. <laughs> That tie is supplemental, right? You know what? This is exactly the way that we look at prayer. Oh, it, it, the, the tie makes it look nicer when it's on. You know, when it's all tied and fixed up. Man, he looks sharp. And that's exactly the way we feel about prayer many times. We look at it as something supplemental that's not needed. But you know, <laughs> if I decided to say, you know what, I don't think these pants are necessary. <laughs> Folks, that's not supplemental, that's fundamental. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen, yeah, Woo! that'd be scary, you know. <laughs> You've never seen chicken legs like these legs, boy. <laughs> You would say, no, no, that's fundamental. You've got to have those on. We don't want you walking around in your boxers, Pastor. No way. Uh-uh. That's, that's fundamental. I need this. I, I'm not going to go outside without my properly dressed, without my clothes on, right? Well, we need to understand that prayer is not something supplemental. It is fundamental. We must be bathed in prayer as believers, just as it would be so silly for me to walk out the house without my trousers on, my pants on, it would be just as foolish for a Christian to go about their daily life without spending a great amount of time with God in prayer. See, prayer is an essential element for every believer's walk with God. So what are the elements? If it's an essential element in your walk, because Jesus modeled it, and now you're saying that it's an essential element, then what are the elements 
that are essential in effective praying. Because we just don't want to pray because the Bible just said, you just don't want to be repeating words because that's like the heathen. So, so we don't want to do that, just throwing words up in the air. Well, I'm just going to say a bunch of words and we think because we say a bunch of words that we're going to be heard. No, so it's got to be effective praying, right? It just can't be quote-unquote praying. We'll take a look. Number one, you must pray desperately. You must pray desperately. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Take a look there, if you will, please. And after this manner, pray ye therefore. Therefore pray ye, I'm sorry. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You must pray desperately. You say, where do you see that? If you're taking notes, letter A, you need the Father. He says, our Father. You need the Father. Jesus states that we're to cry out to God. See, one of the reasons that we don't pray, pray desperately is because we don't have the right belief about prayer. Deep down, we're just not sure how much, prayer, how much, how much good prayer actually does. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, sometimes we pray and nothing happens. You been there? Hello? You been there? Sometimes we pray and nothing happens. Then other times, the other times, we pray and things do happen. It's true, right? And then sometimes we forget to pray, and the thing that you forgot to pray happens anyway. So we think to ourselves, really, what, what good does prayer do? Does it really work? The problem is that they keep surfacing is the question of unanswered prayer. That's the problem. And Jesus addresses it in Luke chapter 11, where his disciples come to him and they ask him, they say, teach us to pray. See, the first point is that, that though we may not get our answer right away, or though we may not get the answer that we want, the first point is in Luke chapter 11 is to keep knocking till you at least get an answer. It says keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. If, if I would have thought of it, I, I could have had maybe a mechanical little arm that would have just knocked throughout the whole service on the wall. I think of most of the illustrations on the fly, but could you imagine if it was just here and I just... And I just kept preaching and saying, you know, the Bible tells us that if we don't get prayer, uh, an answer to prayer, we just need to keep knocking. Could you imagine? And somebody would be like, please, would you please just answer the door? It's driving me nuts. Give the person what they need so we can get on, right? That's the point. With unanswered prayer, though we may not think that it works, it does work. The problem is we just need to keep praying. And the second point is, from Luke chapter 11, we're not going to turn there for lack of time, is that sometimes we don't get what we expect, we get what we need. See, that's the reason why we question prayer. We don't get what we expect, we get what we need. And see, if you're going to pray desperately, you must see your need of the Father to act on your behalf. You have to. But not only do we need the Father You have a need of desperation. You must pray desperately. How does that look? It's your need of the Father and it's your need of desperation. No one knows what you need better than your Father. 
Jesus says, pray this way, our Father which art in heaven. You say, where do you see the need of desperation? See, you are in need of someone and something far greater than yourself. He says, our Father which art in heaven. Our Heavenly Father is far above us in position and in power. And as we cry out to our Father in heaven, we need to cry out that he would create in us a heart of desperation. And that's something really that can only come from heaven. You know what I found? It may not be true with you, but it's true with me. And I think that it's true of you. In our flesh, we're not naturally drawn to be desperate. We actually avoid desperation. In our flesh, we're not naturally drawn to desperation. We actually avoid desperation. But there's something about desperation that changes us. Say, what do you mean? It takes the most cautious of people and it moves them to do very risky things. I just read, um, and I've heard this before, I just read of a a hiker that went out and um, he was going to hike and he was going by himself and he told nobody of his location, which is a big mistake. Number one, you shouldn't go by yourself. And number two, you should let people know of your itinerary. And so he was biking, he took his mountain bike and he, he rode 12 miles to this, uh, this canyon and then he hiked in the canyon and he was going to do some rock climbing. And while he was doing some rock climbing, he thought that he was on a solid boulder. And what he didn't realize is he was making a final climb that an 800-pound boulder rolled upon his arm and pinned him in. He had no one there to help him. The only thing that he had, he had a, a, in his backpack was a penknife. Uh, I think it was two bottles of water and um, uh, some snacks or something to be able to eat. It would only last him for maybe a couple days. He ended up being pinned there for days on end. His water ran out. His food ran out. And he tried to be able to chip away at the boulder to free his arms so that he could get out. He couldn't. He was stuck. It was an 800-pound boulder. This guy knew that if he did not do something desperate, that he was going to die. So this is what he did. He broke his arm right below the elbow. He broke his own arm. He pulled out uh, some cloth with one arm and made a tourniquet. And then took his penknife and he severed his arm from his body to be able to set himself free. This is a true story. You can look it up and verify it. He finally stumbled upon, after some time, stumbled upon some uh, Dutch vacationers there in the, the canyon, and they got him to the hospital. See, he was desperate. He knew that if he did not get free, he would die. He survived, and, and now his life is, is somewhat back to normal, I would say. But the point is that when you're desperate, you will do whatever it takes to get you what you feel you need. I want you to turn over to John chapter 5, 15, if you will, please. See, at the top of the list of hindrances for your prayer life and for my prayer life is our failure to, to recognize and actually accept the fact of how utterly desperate we are. 
One of the hindrances to our prayer life is when we fail to recognize and accept the fact how desperate we are. John chapter 15 and verse 5, I mentioned it to you a few moments ago, but I want you to look there. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. See, prayer is about being desperate. It's about bringing your hopelessness to Jesus. You know, throughout the book of John, we see people coming to Jesus because of their hopelessness, their desperate condition, their, their helplessness. We see in John chapter 4, the Samaritan water, she had no, the Samaritan woman had no water in John chapter 4. Later in the same chapter, the official son had no health. He came to Jesus. In John chapter 5, the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda had no one to be able to help him put him in the pool. In John chapter 6, we see that the crowd had no bread. And then the blind man in John chapter 9, we see he had no sight. And then in John chapter 11, the most desperate of all situations, we see Lazarus in the grave. He was dead. He had no life. But in desperate situations, it causes us to come to Christ. The point is that if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Did you hear me, church? If you're not praying and I'm not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. Listen, you're always going to be a little too tired to pray. You're always going to be a little too busy to pray. But like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own. No matter how busy or how tired you are, you'll find time to pray. See, I'm talking about desperation. Now listen, when you realize that you can't change your child's heart, you'll pray. When you realize that you can't change your child's heart, you'll pray. When you realize that you can't create a desire for the things of God in the life of someone that you love, you'll pray. When you realize that you can't soften the heart of someone that you love for the gospel, you'll pray. See, when you get desperate and you cry out to your Father in heaven and you realize that he's the only one, our Father which art in heaven, he's the only one that can break the stony heart. He's the only one that can save the sinner. He's the only one that can change the heart of the rebellious. He's the only one that can bring back the wayward teenager. He's the only one that can restore the marriage. You'll get desperate and you'll start to pray. See, the Christian life, my friend, isn't about picking up uh, three tips on how to have a better marriage. Or three ways or five ways to be able to help your child succeed to get a better job. It's not about ingenuity and human strength. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 17. That's in the Old Testament there. Jeremiah chapter 17. See, too many times we think it's about good parenting tips and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm not against good parenting tips. The Bible answers a lot of questions for us. But my friends, we must understand that we need to pray desperately. And we are in need of desperation. Because too many times we think that we can change somebody. Listen, you can't change anyone. 
Too many times we think we can change our circumstance. You can't change your circumstance. Whenever you try and change your circumstance, you just make it worse. When you don't pray and you ask God, God, what do you want? And you've got to change this circumstance. Hey, do you think that Daniel in the lion's den could have changed his circumstance? I don't know about you, but he was quite confident in God. You say, how do you know that? Because the man fell asleep amongst wild lions. It says that he fell asleep. I don't know about you, but if I was thrown into a lion's den with lions that hadn't eaten in a while, I don't know that I would have laid my head on their furry mane and fell asleep. I would have been trying to figure out a way, how can I get out of this pit? See, I'd be trying to change my circumstances. And guess what? Every time you get thrown into the fiery furnace, every time you get thrown into the pit, every time you get thrown into the crucible, we're always trying to figure out how we can get out of it, how we can change our circumstance, how we can remove ourselves from this situation instead of getting on our knees and saying, God, I need you to change this. And if you don't change this, what I need is you to change me so that I can get through this. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. We got to get desperate. Or we're just going to do it in the way of the flesh. Look what Jeremiah chapter 17 says in verse 5. I got this highlighted in my Bible. You say, why is that? Because this is my tendency. Because I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-dependent, just like you. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. God didn't say it's just a bad thing to trust in man. God says you're cursed if you trust in man. He's saying don't put your trust in man. Don't rely upon the arm of the flesh. He's saying don't try and figure your ingenuity. Don't try and do it in your own strength. Don't try and figure out how you're going to get this done. But trust in the Lord. And guess what? When you start to trust in the flesh, guess what it says? When you start to trust in your own arm, guess what it says? You're not moving closer to God, but you are departing from the living God. See, the Christian life is all about desperation for God to do a work in your life and in the life of those around you. The Christian life is a life of desperation and prayer. See, what I'm saying this morning is that my hope to see change in my life and in the life of those that I love is not found in a 12-step program or five techniques that I can get. My hope is in my Father's grace that he will work in my heart and in the heart's of those that I love as I come to him in prayer. My hope is based upon the goodness of my Father. My hope is based upon his mercy. My hope is based upon his loving kindness. Why? Because I'm desperate for him to do a work. When you see yourself as desperate, you will then become a person of prayer. Listen. So many times we talk about, hey, you need to pray more. So many times we talk about, you need to be more disciplined in prayer. I'm not saying discipline's wrong, but let me tell you something. When you become desperate in prayer, you don't have to worry about discipline. Desperation in prayer is always a greater motivation than discipline in prayer. Discipline, it will get you to pray, but desperation will get you to pray and it will get you to connect with God. 
See, discipline will say, I am doing this because I know it's right to do. And sometimes we have to do that. But desperation says, I'm doing this because I have to, because I want to, because there is no other option. And I need God to work in this situation because if he doesn't come through, then I'm finished. So you can have a prayer life of discipline or you can have a prayer life of desperation. But listen, you'll always have to be reminded to pray if your life is about discipline and prayer. But if your life is about desperation and prayer, you'll never have to be reminded to pray. So what are you telling me? Well, I'm telling you that if you feel weak, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel tired, deficient, defeated, imperfect, frail, feeble, inadequate, great. You're in the perfect place to pray. See, this is the place of total desperation. And this is the place where you get answers to prayer. Effective praying is found in being desperate. But effective praying is about being selfless. Number two, you must pray selflessly. You must pray selflessly. I want to go back to desperation. Take that off the screen there. Thank you. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, please. And take a look at chapter 4. question is, first, do you see yourself as desperate? Most of us don't. We avoid that. Remember, we avoid desperation. We are Americans. We can do anything, right? We're Americans. but maybe the reason that you're not getting answers to prayer is because you're not desperate for those answers. Are you desperate? All of us in here should be desperate. But some of us in here are desperate and we don't even know it. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? The Bible plainly teaches us, not a Baptist preacher. Oh, this is just what the Baptists believe. You know, you hear that. This is what the Catholic believe. Or this is what the Lutherans believe. Or this is what the Episcopalians believe. Or this is what the Pentecostals believe. Or this is what the Assemblies of God believe. Or this is what, you know... Put your religious tag in there. No. 
This is what the Bible has to say. And many times there's a great gulf between what the Bible has to say and what religions believe. Because sometimes religions don't believe the same thing that the Bible has to say. And some of you here this morning are desperate and you don't even realize you're in a desperate situation. You say, what are you talking about? If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior this morning, you're more desperate than you realize. See, the Bible plainly teaches us that if you're without Christ and you were to die, that there is only one place for you. It's not heaven. It's a place called hell. He said, Pastor, I can't believe that you said that, that, if, that, 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 that there would be people in here that would go to hell. Why would God send anybody to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. Well, I, I'm not choosing to go there. How can you say that I would go to hell? I'm not saying that. The Bible is saying that. And if life were to cease in your body right now, there's only one option for you. If you knew that you only had one option for life or death, and it was never presented to you until after death, wouldn't you feel like you had been cheated in life? I was never given the opportunity. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came more than just a historical figure. He came as the God-man, and he died on the cross for every single one of our sins. My sins, your sins, everybody's sins. He died on the cross, and according to the Scriptures, it says he rose three days later. And if you're without Christ today, you are desperate for salvation. Why? Let me go back to it, because there's only one alternative. Folks, let me tell you. I'm just going to be straight up with you. There's no such thing as purgatory. I challenge anybody to take the Bible and show me where it talks to us about purgatory. Nobody can pray you out of hell. Nobody. The Bible talks to us about these things. It says, what can a man give for uh, uh, what can a man give as a ransom for their soul? They can't give anything for their soul. You, you can't earn your way into God's heaven. And this morning, if you don't know Christ, you're sitting here in a desperate position. But the wonderful thing is that you don't have to leave desperate. You can leave delivered. Amen. See, the only difference between me and you is my desperation is that God needs to act on my behalf for things in my life, not concerning my salvation, but concerning my sanctification. Your desperation, that means my Christian growth, your desperation comes that you need God to do something in your heart and your life so that you will come to know him so that you won't spend eternity separated from him. See, it's not bad to be desperate because desperation gets you answers. Friend, if you don't know Christ, desperation can get you eternal life. 
Desperation can get you the removal of your sins. Desperation can set you free by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ when you place your faith in the person and work of him and him alone. It's not about your religious affiliation. It's not about if you've been confirmed. It's not about if you've taken Holy Communion. It's not about if you've been baptized. We got four people that are going to be baptized this morning. Four of them. One of them just came to Christ last week. His baptism doesn't save him. He got saved last week. His baptism is letting everybody know this is what took place in my life. I was a desperate man here sitting in the pews week after week, and I was wondering about what God would do in my life and how I could be taken from death unto life. And just last week, he went from being desperate to being delivered, and now we're going to see him be developed into the things of God. So, Christian friend, are you desperate? Oh, I forgot to pray. Oh, man. If you're desperate, you're not going to forget to pray. My friend, if you don't know Christ, you're in a desperate situation. You say, Pastor, I'm just going to wait. The Bible plainly teaches us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You do not know if you will live till tomorrow. You can't guarantee that you will live for the next hour. See, I think that really more unsaved people would come to know Christ if more Christians were desperate in their prayer. You know, we need to become desperate. Hmm. You all remember high school, right? You remember that girl, don't you? I'm sorry, ladies. I don't mean to pick on you. Forgive me. But she always had to have a boyfriend. She was desperate. You've heard people say that. She's so desperate. Or he's so desperate. You know, when it comes to our walk with the Lord and prayer time, you better be desperate. The Bible says that only those, God only rewards those who diligently, diligently seek him. So what's your prayer life like, Christian? Is it dead? Is it disciplined? Or is it desperate? If it's these first two, dead or disciplined, I'd like you to move to desperate today. That's my call for you. Realizing that you need the Father. We know it here. But we've got to get it to here. Because nothing's going to change 
until we get it from here to here. You say, why is that? Because too many Christians are comfortable with just regular, profunctory Christianity. Say, what's that? Too many Christians are content with going through the motions. Because we got our ticket. Got my fire escape. No, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about hell. Man, if that's where you base your Christian life on, I feel sorry for you because you are missing a whole lot. That's like going to the Franklinville Inn and getting a cup of water. <laughs> 